Good morning and welcome to Coffee with the Sarlows. I'm Kelly. Good morning, I'm Karen. Today we are going backwards in time, not time travel, but uh, back to uh, something that was channeled in our December workshop uh, for a client who has been to see you before, correct? Um, the person that came to the December workshop had seen me once, Okay, I think two years ago. Yes. Um, yes. Okay, so he's in a group setting in December, mm-hmm. and he was the first message of the night. Yes, but we have to back up before that. Oh, okay. So bef- before that occurred, when you and I arrived that evening, we went and sat at the Hampton Inn in a room beside where all of the guests arrived. Yeah, so we were waiting before we entered. Yeah, we don't get to see who's coming into the room. So he and 59 other people went into a a large room and sat down. Um, He sat at the very back of the room. um, And you and I went into a room off to the side of that and had a coffee, Mm -hmm. as we do before the public event evenings. And you and I were sitting on opposite sides of the table, as we do with our coffee. And as of late... Both of us have pen and paper in our hand in case messages start coming through. Mm -hmm. Okay. And this is often sometimes when we both each take take turns going to the washroom and we get messages in the washroom too. Mm -hmm. Um, But we were sitting down. I think I had just come in from the washroom, sat down at the table. You had your head down and you were writing. And I started um, twitching and um, moving in odd ways, like pulling my leg in close to my chest and out. And you said, what are you doing? And I said, I don't know. And I had to keep keep moving, like fidgeting, but big fidgeting, not little fidgeting, big fidgeting. And then I jumped up out of the chair. And I said, was that when I said play locomotion? Uh, Yeah, there was a lot of I do remember the fidgeting, but you had said play a good song. And so I didn't even, I, you know, under pressure, didn't even know what to put on. So I pulled up the YouTube app and uh, I went to search, I think, Justin Timberlake. And you wrote, play Locomotion. And I went, who in God's name would consider that a good song? Because <laughs> um, I, I do remember saying that to you. And anyway, I'm obliged. And you, that's when you got up and started dancing. Crazy. Like a five-year-old. Yes. I got up and my arms were going in the air. Um, I don't even know the names of the dances. Wait, I don't think that's a dance. Okay. <laughs> what you did? Well, okay. So my arms went up and down in front of me and my legs came up to the sides. And um, I might do the dance, by the way, and post it with this show. Oh, Kelly made a face, everybody. You're still my mom. <laughs> She just, if you're listening, my daughter, sometimes I'm still embarrassed. My daughter made a face at me. Everybody listening to this is going to know this interaction between when a daughter gives her mother the look like, don't embarrass me. Mm -hmm. Everybody. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I just may do this dance and post it. Okay. So I did this dance. This is when the daughters go, if she can handle the technology, we'll see how this goes. (laughs) No, you have to do it for me. Uh-huh. You have to take the cell phone and uh-huh. video this to locomotion. So I did the dance and oh my God, it was fun. And it was just wild energy. It was just like, I just felt so free. Just if anybody does this kind of a dance where, you know, like Meredith 
and um christina christina they do their dance where it's just kind of like their heads hang loose and then they lift their arms up and it's just kind of like that i'm letting it all go that kind of a dance this one was like that but i'll say times a hundred in energy mm-hmm. <laughs> in that it was faster because if you know the locomotion you know how fast this is but that's what it felt like. So then I sat down. I couldn't write anything. I couldn't focus uh, my head. You actually spilled coffee on yourself. Oh, did I really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, it, it was a mess. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate when you can be honest and tell me when I'm messy. Mm-hmm. Th- that's, that's a good thing. So we got up. And we had to go almost immediately. Eh? That was very close to when we had to go into the room and see and, and greet everybody. Mm-hmm. So we got up and I still, I didn't understand this. It was just like this big burst of energy. We walked into the room. There's 60 people sitting in uh, the Hampton Inn. And you and I walked to the front of the room. We sat down in our chairs and got ourselves organized. And at the beginning of those, of the public events, you... Um, sit and chat with everybody first, explaining everything that we do so that they're comfortable with everything that we offer. Right. And can you start telling what happened at that point, as you recall? Uh, I don't actually recall much. I know that I go through the consent process with the room. Uh, and I think very standard. I kind of see you out of the corner of my left eye, um, fidgeting in your seat, writing notes, giggling. Um, sometimes you start crying, but I do remember you having a lot of energy that night. And I do remember you getting up out of your chair and then sitting back down. Um, yeah, (laughs) trying to get a five-year-old to sit in a booth to eat dinner. Um, yeah, just frantic energy and excitement, a lot of excitement. So we're, we're now taping this. I'm just going to interrupt because we're now taping this months later. Mm-hmm. Um, and the sequence of events are jumbled because of memory, right? We don't have a memory for all of the things that happened during the sessions, mm-hmm. uh, especially the two-hour ones. So I th- what's really interesting is you're sitting in front of me right now as we record with, um, with notes, which yeah. we don't often do. It's very conversational, and, and it still will be, but you've actually got notes from the gentleman himself yes. after the fact, yes. uh, and which was something that was really beautiful uh, at this particular event was I made an extra effort in that consent process to point out to everyone in attendance that if they noticed someone had come by themselves or they noticed that someone was having information channeled for them uh, and they were frozen and not taking notes, that we really encouraged everyone uh, in in the room to take notes for other people, get up and go and hand them to them afterwards because you can feel very put on the spot um, as things are happening. Or if you're by yourself and you're just, you're too jumbled. Uh, so there was a woman, correct me if I'm wrong, who actually a couple of women yeah. who walked up to this gentleman afterwards and said, we took notes for you. And here That's they are. Right. So from then until now, you and he have been in conversation with each other in hopes to share this. Yes. Yeah. What, what happened was you've said it perfectly. After the event, um, I called him. I thought about the story about what happened as much as I could remember. And a lot of it was cloudy. So I called him. His name is Bertrand. Mm -hmm. And 
I asked him if he could tell me what happened that night, and he said yes. So I made an appointment with him to speak over the phone when he was available, and we ended up speaking for well over an hour, probably an hour and a half by phone, and I wrote five pages of notes because you and I don't have memory. Okay, so this is going to be kind of more of a disjointed yeah. podcast then, where we're sharing the, the really the fun facts or the fun affirmations, yes. but not necessarily in the same order. Right. So we'll kind of just go back and forth as as you read off the notes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Bertrand al- allowed me to interview him after the fact with the intention that this became a podcast. Okay. Because because it's a beautiful love story because he wanted to share Joanne, his wife, with other people who could listen to this all over the world. This is a couple that really loved each other. He came to the event. So first of all, I asked him some questions. I said, what were your expectations when you came? And he said, well, I really came from Sturgeon Falls to North Bay that evening to really hear other people's stories. He says, you know, in the back of your mind, you're always wanting to connect to the person that who's crossed over that's nearer to you that you love. But he says he's very shy and that there's a part of you that wants to connect and a part of you that doesn't because you're, you don't want to be embarrassed. You're shy. You don't want, you know, all of that out there, but you kind of do. But that he was also open-minded to listening to other people's messages so Mm -hmm. that he could learn and just be part of the evening. Yeah, which is not uncommon in those situations, the public events, I mean. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. Not everybody comes and wants to to be read themselves. So, Mom, what I do recall after, because we were just talking about the consent process and you being fidgety, and then and then I kind of backtracked. Um, so, one of the first things I do recall was you saying, "I have JoJo." Oh, because okay. when I, when I finished that consent process, we yeah. both we still have our notes from from when we're by ourselves, and we typically look at each other and say, "Who wants to start?" Right. Right. You or I, do we, either one of us have a pressing issue? Yeah. Because oftentimes if one of us is picking up on physical pain, we let that person go first so we can uh, have that alleviated quickly. Yeah. Uh, But you were just bursting with this, with this raw energy uh, or electric energy and you yelled out Jojo. Okay. uh, Please correct me too, if you have different memories during this process, and I'm going to refer to Bertrand's notes. Mm -hmm. Um, And I hope people really hear too my intention in telling the story and researching and getting it for accuracy, right from Bertrand. And how you say that even Bertrand himself had to rely on notes from the people present. Uh, because you feel emotional when you're you're getting your messages. So he said when he heard that it was Jojo, he said that um, he, he, he thought that it would be her, that it was her. Um, she went by different names and he said, um, and I will refer to the notes for that, that she wanted the kids to call her Jojo. He didn't refer to her as Jojo. He called her Joanne. But her the grandchildren called her that. The nieces and nephews. Um, so I, I think I, like, if I can remember and going by the notes, she loved to sing and I kept hearing her singing. Oh my God. Yeah. I recall that. Do you? Yeah. What about it? Just, uh, just being a daughter and being embarrassed. Was I singing? You mean? Yeah, you did. Oh, for a very short period of time. And actually I don't remember what you sang, but I do remember you standing up to tell all these messages, which I, I find adorable. Um, but yet you, you had begun to sing and, and just with the simple message of she loved to sing. Yeah. And he, he was nodding his head going, that's, that's Joanne. Yeah. So 
she loved to sing. He said every day, she worked in North Bay. Every day, she had to drive back to Sturgeon Falls, which is about a 20, 25, maybe half hour drive, I guess, depending on the weather too. And um, she would come into the house. And he said that I also said to give him the message from Joanne, from his wife, um, Mon Amour. Yep. Um, I can't remember exactly how it is or if I wrote it down. But something Mon Amour. He, she called him Mon Amour. Oh, okay. And he said that each day when she came in the door, she would see his truck in the driveway and she would walk straight into the house and she would not go and approach him first. She would go into her office and close the door. But she would yell out, Bonjour, Mon Amour, to him. She would go into her office, close the door and put her music on and sing. Hmm. And he said, they have two sons, and they're grown now, but he said she did this all the time, and that she had a really a stressful job, so she would come into the house and not want to kind of bring that into the home. So she would go into her office, she would put her music on and sing, and you could hear her singing all over the house. And she didn't think that you could hear her all over the house, but she'd get louder and louder, and they would hear her singing in that room. Mm-hmm. And then when she would come out of the room, she would be in an emotional place where, okay, now I can be with my family. Now I'm me, now I'm grounded, now I love you guys, now. So she, she knew how to go through this process. And she valued that process of singing. Mm-hmm. And I could identify for herself that she needed the time and she needed to go through that. And that, that is what she said, bonjour mon amour. And he said, Karen, when you said that, the tears started. Mm-hmm. He goes, I knew 100% that you had my Joanne. <laughs> and he said, I knew then that she was in the room. And I don't recall, like I said, this is going to be choppy and a little bit out of order. But I remember at one point, and it's in it's here in the notes too, that she, she showed me him carrying her. She told me about cancer. And he said, yes. And that it, she had pain all over the body, that she had lost weight, that she had this really feisty, ener- like lots of energy in the body, and that she had to move, 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 which was happening to me back in the room prior to the evening. Mm-hmm. And he said that was Joanne's character to a T. She had to move all the time and she would fidget. Um so he described all of those experiences being true to her physical character and her emotional character, um, which was, is, and you and I both know, is so important mm-hmm. for us because we then know we really have the character. But also when people are listening to this, they know how much then that these, that the people who've died, their characters come through our bodies. Yep. We don't just describe them and say she had brown hair, dyed blonde. We they come through us with their own energy. So she, um, she talked about her, her energy and what it was like. And he said that was accurate. Um, I also remember um, that she said he had to carry her and that she didn't have the energy at the end in her illness to walk or to move and to do things for herself. And he said that was, that was accurate and that he did. And I remembered watching uh, um, in the room above his head, him wrapping her in a blanket. Yep. 
and that he would carry her wrapped up in the blanket. And I asked him if that was accurate, and he said yes. And I said, um, and I started describing the bedroom, and he he told us told me that this was correct about the uh, de- not the design, the layout, the layout. Thank you of the bedroom. And I said I can see a closet across from the the bed. And I said in the closet on the top shelf, I said I can see where you've put these uh, these blankets, and this this blanket. And he said yes. And that's all he said at that time. He just affirmed that that he had in fact put the blanket he wrapped her in in the closet up on the top shelf in that corner. And I appreciated his willingness to share that level of intimacy that he and his wife went through when she was dying. Mm -hmm. And that he was willing to share that with 60 people in the room. And that now he's willing to share that with anybody who's listening. Mm -hmm. During the conversation with Bertrand, he said, I'm going to send you something. And this will appear on the website as well. He sent me a picture. He went after our conversation, opened the closet door, took a picture of the blanket in the closet and sent it to me so that I could put it on the website so that people could see the affirmation of exactly what was described in the room that night um, up on the internet. So anybody that attended the event could see it, but anybody else that's just curious and wants to see that can but here's something else. He said, there's more to your story. And I said, okay, well, what's that? He goes, you talked about blankets, but you, then you said blanket. He goes, you kind of went back and forth between the two words. And I said, okay. So there was the blanket that night that, um, the one that she had been wrapped in that put, was put up on the shelf. And he said, here's, there's more to the story. He said, before Joanne passed, she was seeing another Reiki master, another person. Um, that was doing some treatments for her in Sturgeon Falls. And on one such visit, she was resting and was floating in and out of her body. And she had a vision of herself seeing her grandchildren. And these are grandchildren that are not born. They're not here on earth. And when she came out of that Reiki treatment, she came home and she told Bertram about seeing the grandchildren that would be born after she died. So she started making blankets hmm. and she started knitting. And I don't know if the right term is knitting, crocheting, or she did both. I think it's knitting, but that could be corrected. Um, so she started making blankets for, for the grandchildren she would not meet on earth as as a human. Lovely. Because she was, she knew she was going to die with of cancer. And she did not finish making those. She asked her sister, So Bertrand, since Joanne has passed, asked Joanne's sister to finish the blankets for her grandchildren. Mm -hmm. And she did. And those blankets now sit in that closet with the one that she was wrapped in. So if anyone or is listening to this and chooses to go and see the, the picture that Bertrand has shared, they will see that picture and they will see more than one blanket in her closet. He um, he thinks and believes so strongly in the character of Joanne and how much she wanted to love people um, in her life and beyond her life. And I think that's one of the reasons why I really wanted to, to share their story. Because their love wasn't just between them as a couple. 
it encompasses it. They, they brought in everybody around them. They included everyone, even the unborn or the spirit world. And however we want to look at that. Um, so that's there. Bertrand also, I invited him to send any pictures that he wanted to share. And he sent a picture of Joanne. Mm-hmm. So you can also, as a listener, go and look at Joanne. And I know a lot of people in Sturgeon Falls and Verner and North Bay and area will go to that because they are both a very well-known and well-loved couple mm-hmm. and individuals. So if anyone would like to do that, they can do that as well. So those are a, a couple of things that came through that day. Um, he did say to me too that... When I said her name, I said Jojo B. And um, he said, that is correct, Karen. He says it is Joanne Bizier. So the last name was, was Bizier, but I didn't get that. I just got the B. Mm-hmm. So in the entire conversation with Bertrand after this evening, and this was about a month later, by the way, that I called and asked him for permission. He, he took the time to go through before our meeting on the phone. Um, to go through the notes the lady gave and to go through and add anything extra that he wanted to that had happened that evening. He did say too that he shared that evening with some people and he said that some people were very happy to hear how Joe, Joe came through and that he chose not to share it with some others because they are not as open to it and so that he was trying to be respectful of where people had different beliefs around it. One of my favorite memories from the night um, happened very early on with him, where I think you had just established that it was Jojo. And she said, you're still attractive. And he's a very shy man. And it was a room dominated by women. Yeah. And I just remember all the giggles. And he just sat there very calmly and went, "Mm mm-hmm. (laughs) <laughs> and yeah. she she just wanted him to know that she was still attracted to him. Yeah. Which I thought was really lovely because we want that as we age. We want to know that we're still desired or desirable. Uh, and she's passed. So to know that he's still an attractive man and he may feel hopeful that there could be love again, which went into another message um, where she said, you will have another partner. Yeah. And she said that he wasn't quite ready because he, and uh, that sorry, she said he was being stubborn and didn't want one, but she was going to make sure that he had one. Yeah. Uh, and he said, Karen, that's correct. And this happened during the night yeah. uh, where he said, I just had a conversation with my two sons and I told them I don't want another partner. I had the love of my life. Yeah. Made a room full of 60 women swoon. Um <laughs> But really, we were watching a love story yeah. unfold, which oh, was really, yes. lo- really beautiful. Uh, and he just, he made the comment, I've already had the love of my life. And I think too, Kelly, if I'm remembering correctly now between that night, or it was the conversation that we had privately over the phone, where when he, um, I remember Joanne saying to him that she was trying to compare it in the sense of when a mom has a child her first baby and she loves her first and thinks there's no possible way she could love more children she's so in love with this baby that happened to you right yes and that (laughs) that's cute because you're my (laughs) firstborn and um 
she compared it to that you don't love your second child or your third or your fourth or your ninth less than you did your first. Your heart grows. It doesn't divide. It yeah, it doesn't. You don't say that that I don't love you so that I can love Andrew. That doesn't make any sense. And any anybody who has more than one love, more than one child, more than one career, more than one kind of chocolate bar, one bag of chips. I mean, you can, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that you can love and, and grow and extend love. And that includes with humans, whether it's children and more than one or spouses. Mm-hmm. So she was trying to say to him that day that she didn't feel edged out. She wasn't feeling like he had to stop loving her so he could love another person. She was saying that she could understand that he could love her and another person together. And that even though he couldn't fathom that right now, she understood that. And I believe she talked to him about that it could just be in time Mm -hmm. and that he would need time to be able to move through different feelings. And that would have to include meeting somebody that would be worthy of that for him. Right. And that you don't really know and believe you could ever get there until she's actually standing in front of you, Mm. the new human, because there has to be that connection and that, that attraction. And I don't just mean physically or sexually. No, chemistry. Chemistry, the emotional, that, and it's just time. That's the universe's job. Not ours as human beings. So she she really wanted him. And I, I wrote that down, Kelly. It's right in the notes that she said to him, you will feel okay. And she knew he was still working on it. And that okay is just in levels. Nice. And I wrote it down word for word because it was so important to acknowledge Bertrand's levels. Mm-hmm. And that, and he said, well, that's true because... I might go through different levels in five minutes. <laughs> yeah. And that's true. Anybody that has grieved and grieved deeply knows that it can change within five minutes. Mm-hmm. And you can be okay with being devastated. Yeah. It, like you said, it's, it's, uh, it's levels, but what it really is is process. Yeah. Then she went on to talk about um, that eventually he would know what to do with her things. Um, and he did affirm that he didn't know and that he still had her things in the house that he just didn't know what to do with them. Mm -hmm. And she was trying to affirm for him that she knew her stuff was still in the house and that he didn't know how to disperse of them or who to, what to do or how to do it yet, but that she wasn't rushing him through. She just was acknowledging she knew it was in the house. And I think too, it gave him an affirmation that she's in the house that she knows her stuff is there. She's not saying, hold on to it. She's saying, I know. And I know that you're going through a process that you'll figure it out. And that eventually, you'll deal with it. And I think sometimes other human beings can look at that and go, they're stuck. Or what's wrong? This is weird. And it may not be. It's just that they're simply feeling it. And acknowledging that they're going through their emotions. And that when the time is right, he will know. That knowing just comes because it's the right time for it. And I liked how Joe was coming, or Joanne was coming from the other worlds, the other, the spirit world, saying, I'm in the house with you. I get it. I see what you're going through. I'm, I love you. And I'm not trying to rush you. This is, this is process. 
the respect that's involved in that. Mm-hmm. He he said at one point too. He said, "Karen, I want to affirm for you the accuracy of the physical information you gave that night at the Hampton. That there were times when I said this hurt, that hurt, and I don't remember that in detail anymore, Kelly. No, at all about what I said about the body pain. But he did say you can write down on your piece of paper that you had the body pain correct." And I think that's important because those are affirmations that he can affirm that he knew as her caretaker what she went through Mm -hmm. and how important it is for us to know that another human being can validate that for us. I know too, and maybe this is a separate issue, well, a separate thing to note. Um, There are many times when we channel people who have crossed their loved one just sitting in front of us and we say, oh, they had pain here. And they'd go, well, we'd never know because he never told us anything. And there's frustration and anger and uh, and distance in those in those moments because that person, for whatever reason they had, didn't open up, didn't share their experience. And even if it's a shitty one, even if it's a painful one, both parties want to know that they were worthy enough to share the experience together. Whether you're the one in pain or you're the one extending yourself to comfort and be there for one, for the other person. Kelly Sarlo. Thank you. Yeah. No, just sit for a minute. Thank you. On behalf of every single listener who's in the place of the caretaker, who is trying to deal with somebody who will not use their voice to speak. Mm. Because they are having a moment right now, you and them, where this can be the meltdown point that they're going through that. They're trying and extending themselves to be in the role of a caretaker. And the person who needs them is shutting them down. Mm Mm-hmm. And the frustration and the anger, as you say, that they are feeling in saying, I am standing here. I am trying to love you and help you through this. And you're still shutting me down. Yes. And I think uh, another important thing that I've seen firsthand is when a parent, and I'm just going to pick on on a parent, uh, who has multiple children who are kind of in and out as they're being cared for, um, they confide in one and not the other. And so the children aren't on the same page. So one wants to get mom up and get her in a wheelchair and move in and get her outside for fresh air and and wants to give her pretty things and a good experience because that's in his mind a good a good thing. And she's confided in the daughter saying that she's exhausted and has pain and doesn't have the energy to get into her chair. But the son walks in and she goes, oh, I'm fine, sweetie. Don't worry about me. And so the daughter's now angry at the at her brother for getting mom up and exhausting her. And now she has to sleep for three days, right? So when we don't share an experience, we disconnect. Yeah. And we create disconnections between other people. Yeah. Whether that's siblings amongst each other and parents or the, the home care workers yeah. and the palliative care staff. Absolutely. And the doctor and the nurse and everybody else that's involved in this and how they can become angry with each other and sit um, at, a, at, a, at a, maybe at a meeting 
and wonder why they're not all on the same page to care for the same person. Right. And never understand that the person they're trying to care for is the one that's created all the problems. Right. So this is clearly not what happened with Joanne and mm -hmm. Bertrand. Although you make fabulous points that people needed to hear. Yeah. And I think, you know, making these points also helps illustrate that this really was a love story. Oh my God, yes. That they, this this is a whole other level of intimacy when you can tell someone what yeah. pain you're in, what yeah. you're experiencing. Because none of us want to make the person we love miserable yeah. by telling them we're miserable. Right. Right? Um, th that's love. That's that's openness. That That is yeah. communication. Well, everybody who's healthy will want a Bertrand. And everybody who's healthy will want a, a Joanne. Joanne swoon yeah oh yes on both counts um one of the other things that he told me um was that i remote viewed that evening um sitting in the hampton inn in north bay um that i was able to describe um what they called the bedroom and but i referred to it as the office and i did not know that he reminded me and he said I wanted to point out to you that that was correct because it was her uh, an office. I don't want to say her office in case that's incorrect. But I think it, what was said was that it was an office turned into a bedroom because she couldn't move around or go to a different floor. Or there was something about, I hope I... Accessibility. Yes, thank you. And I hope I get all of that really correct. Well, Bertrand will let us know if we didn't. But um, she couldn't get into certain areas and so they made a makeshift bed, I believe, in the office so that she was able to um, uh, not be in pain. So he did say, and I don't have to go into the details, he just said to me, you remote viewed correctly. This was some another reason why I, I, I wanted to share this. Because we have clients who want to put up the wall of, I don't believe, prove it. And we have the clients like Bertrand who say it's accurate and I want to help you by affirming it for you out of love and kindness. Yeah, and I think the group sessions are a different um, a different kind of situation than a one-on-one -on -one session because you're in a room of X number of people and you can channel accurate information for someone and whether it's their nervousness or their skepticism or their just plain rudeness, they can sit there and go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they can give you the yes, but the rest of the room is kind of looking at them going, are they just being agreeable? Is this just that they don't want to speak up for themselves or that they're annoyed or that they're just you know, saying yes to keep moving, but we're not really sure. But when you get someone who's enthusiastic enough to say, yes, that is correct. Yes, that's what we did. Yes, that's how it happened. Uh, there's a whole, you do something for another person's experience mm -hmm. in, in trusting and in opening up that opportunity for love. Yeah. I like how you worded that because everybody else in the room then can decide if they're going to be the one that sits there and and even though they know the they might know information is correct they don't even give us an affirmation they might shake their head and nobody else in the room can see that right so they don't understand if we're being accurate or not right and bertrand decided that he was going to say yes that is accurate and then give the affirmation and say and the blanket is there yeah to us and the room yes so that then 
the other listeners in the room can sit back and breathe. Well, and change their intention. Yes. Okay. He um, told me, too, that I referred to her and her career and how much she had a purpose in wanting to help people, and in particular, teenagers and boys and younger people. Yes. And he did tell me that that was correct. She was a probation officer. For young men. For young men and women, but that she had, and I hope I say this right, I kept saying something about boys and sons. She has two sons. Was it not a soft spot? Yeah. Yeah. And that her soft spot was to help young people, was to help young people who felt, who or I'll say, how do we word this, that if you have to see a probation officer, these are people who are hurting. These are people who feel lost, who might be seeking attention or seeking different things in life that aren't always healthy. And that she wanted to be somebody that was not just saying as a probation officer, I'll punish you. That wasn't her intention. Her intention was come see me. Let's work on this. How do we heal you? How do we get you back into society? How do we move through this so that you don't have to be here again? Mm-hmm. So her intention as a probation officer and anybody who knows her in that field in particular, co-workers or the people that she helped, knew that that was her spirit and her intention in doing and choosing that career. Mm-hmm. It wasn't out of, let's go in and be, you know... Bully and a, powerful. A, yeah. Her intention wasn't a power over. Her intention was, as a probation officer, how do we get them back into their own positions of power? Mm-hmm. So that the decisions become healthier. Okay, so fun story. Yeah. Um, you were talking about her fidgety, her fidgety, um, not even composure, but body. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so you were describing how you were dancing in the other room prior to us entering the, the event. Um, and that you had asked for um, an old song, I think you said, mm. and that you were you were dancing in a funny manner. And he said that she loved to dance around and yeah. she had flailing kind of yes. moves, which yes. is why I said what you did was not a dance. Um, yeah. And that's when you turned to me and you said, put the song on. Oh, and so okay. and I'd never done that or you had never asked for that in the middle of a session to put dance music on. We usually do it before and after as people are entering and leaving. Right. Um, just to kind of give a different energy uh, to people. So I pulled up locomotion again and you started dancing and he said that's exactly how she moved. Uh, I, I think it's important for people to hear that because there are different types of mediums. Some who sit down and say, this is what they look like. This is what this looked like. Some who hear it and say she danced and she says she danced funny. And then there are mediums that are like you and I that use all of the senses and behave like them. And I want to say on my own behalf right now, Kelly, how much energy has to flow through my body for a person who's dead passed over and in spirit form to come through me to be able to say Karen has a fear of dancing in front of 60 people we have to push her ego and we have to push her fear aside and her daughter (laughs) and her daughter (laughs) aside so that Joanne can host in that body with love Joanne's energy can come through so I want to say 
how much I loved Joanne's energy, mm-hmm. how much I loved allowing her into my body. I remember you saying that that night and watching people kind of um, assimilate that or un- like really wrap their head around what that meant to enjoy someone's energy because you weren't just in her presence. She was in you. Um, but also to watch Bertrand watch his wife. There she is again, right in front of him, dancing for him. Yeah. I feel that every time I tell this story. How much I feel Joanne. And what a pleasure. What an absolute delight and honor it is to feel that. And I want to say to people that are listening, are you a delight? Hmm. Are you a delight to someone else in life? Or are you a misery? Are you a bully? If someone else had to feel all of who you are, who are you? And Joanne was aware of that. Every moment of her life, she sang in her office before she greeted her husband. She chose consciousness. She chose her decisions wisely and with care and love for other people. No wonder he feels that he has the love of his life. He knows it. That's a big bar. That's a big bar for another woman to walk up to that man. That's a big bar. Good for both of them. I hope other couples out there listening to this or single people out there know what a bar looks like. Mm -hmm. Feels a bar. And I hope that our clients know what makes you and I unique. In that we don't just channel, we don't just give a message, we don't just describe a person, we don't just stand up and say it because we use sight or vision. We use all six gifts. We use every aspect of who we are to ensure that they know their loved one is present in every way possible so that they know they're loved. I think uh, at this point, I'd like to thank Bertrand Mm -hmm. for... And I know you've said it already, but I'm just going to say it again uh, for allowing us to share his love story. Yeah, I think it's extremely courageous because North Bay and Sturgeon and all these places are small communities. Yeah, you can't get you can't get lost in them to be able to uh, voluntarily identify yourself and share your story is is a big deal. And Kelly, when I said to Bertrand at the end of the conversation, as standard, we would. You have full rights to listen to your podcast before we air it, Bertrand. You can edit it. You can take anything out that you want. You can decide you don't want it aired. If somebody in any way might be hurt by it, or you might be embarrassed by it, in any way, shape, or form, we will not run this. And his response to me was, I don't need to hear it. I fully trust you and Kelly. I fully trust Joanne and her spirit and the intention of all of this. So this is being shared today where Bertrand is just so open-hearted that he wants to share 
his experience of love with all of it, with, with everyone listening. And I, I appreciate the trust. Uh, that I think that speaks volumes uh, for us as professionals. Yeah. Um, but also we have, you just, you know, quite emotionally talked about Joanne choosing who she wanted to be. But in Bertrand, not wanting his name changed, not wanting any names changed in this podcast, um, he has chosen who he is. Yes. And he has been comfortable enough with his own integrity as a human being, as a man, uh, to share himself. As a human, not even one who's passed. That's right. Uh, and that's even more exciting for us because we don't see that as often. Yeah, because a lot of people will say, you can share my story, I give consent. But if anybody's listened to our prior 80 shows on Coffee with the Sarlows, we change identities. Because typically people don't want that shared. Mm -hmm. So many thanks to both Bertrand and Joanne from both of us. Yes. Um, if anyone has questions or comments about today's swooning show, you can email us at info at com, or if you feel um, apt to doing this, you can comment swoon on the bottom of the podcast oh, uh, just to share your love with uh, with Bertrand and Jojo. Have an excellent Saturday.